Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. You may be seated. My dear friends in Christ, I was skipping class one day, and I really didn't want to go. It was one of those days in college where you just, ah, you didn't feel quite right being stuck in a classroom. And I wanted to be with my friends, but they weren't around, and so I kind of made my way over, and I figured, well, I'll walk in, and I'll be just a little bit late. And I got into the classroom, and nobody was there. And so I walked back to my dorm room all the way across campus again. And I noticed that there was a lot of sound coming from one of the other suites. And I walked in and I saw everybody sitting there and their eyes were fixed on the TV just as the second plane hit the towers. Of course, we know that day was 9-11. We look back on that day now... 20 and a half years later with a certain amount of reverence, right? We look at that and we say, this is a terrible tragedy, an act of terrorism on our land that just was not right. Horrific. And I think a lot of us, if we had our druthers, would like to have seen the terrorists who plotted that put into the public square And we all go back in time where we can go and flog them ourselves, right? But how do you feel about all of the red-blooded Americans who flew into that tower and killed those thousands of people? I mean, if it weren't for them dying, would the thousands of people had died? It's kind of a weird question, right? Because that's not where we put the blame, right? We don't put it on the Americans who are flying the plane or the companies who put the planes in the air. We don't blame them for the deaths of these thousands of people. And that's kind of what the story is that these people bring to Jesus this morning. The Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate, in many ways, destroyed this piety of these people who had gathered to worship. Now, why Pilate did that? I don't know. The response of the Jews to that? We don't know. The response of these Galileans to that? We don't know. But we don't look at these Galileans and say, well, it's your fault for ruining it. And neither does God. See, if God did say it was their fault for ruining the sacrifice because it was their blood put in, it would be like us blaming the victims of 9-11 for 9-11. And so they're trying to trick Jesus in this. And Jesus isn't going to play this game where he's going to say it's anyone's fault except for Pilate. And he doesn't really even say that, does he? 
In fact, what he does is he changes the nature of the question as to whose fault is it if these things don't work the way that it should to why is it your fault? Because that's the question we should be asking. Why are these things happening? It's me. It's me. Every time something bad happens to me, it's me. Every time something bad happens to others, it's me. Every time something bad happens in the world, it's me. That's what Jesus is saying we should see. We are so lost in our sin that we cannot even see this web of interconnectedness that flows throughout the universe in which where this theory out there where a butterfly flaps its wings in Taiwan and a tsunami hits somewhere else across the world. I mean, that's how it is for us. A little white lie causes a tsunami of sin throughout the entire world. Your sin that you drop into this universe echoes throughout all of creation and makes it groan for the coming of Jesus so that it gets rid of what you just did. We are so lost that we rarely ever see this. We are so lost that we don't want to see it. We're sinners. And yeah, it's Pilate's fault that he's the one who put human blood into the blood of the sacrifice. Yes, it's the terrorist's fault that they drove planes into towers. Yes, it's Putin's fault that there's war in the Ukraine. Yes, it's whoever's fault for whoever else is doing something else anywhere in the world. But it's yours too. It's yours too. We need to realize that within each and every single one of us is a Hitler in waiting. We can easily turn to hate someone so much that we war against an entire people, a whole nation, a race, that we kill them. That we are so disingenuous to who we are created to be in God that we would rather destroy His creation than admit our wrongdoing. And these people who come to Jesus are just like us. It's kind of like, the kids aren't in here, so I can tell a story. It's kind of like when one of the little ones, Ava, will hit Eli, and Eli comes running in and says, Dad, Ava hit me. Tell her that she's wrong. But really, he started it. See, we're the ones running to God and saying, this is wrong. How dare you do this to me? When the reality is, 
You started it. How can you say that the Lord's ways are not just when it's so clear as to what you should be doing? You should be avoiding sin. You should be seeking to get it out of your life. You should be not doing the things that God tells you not to do. And you should be doing the things that God tells you to do. So just as these people were trying to trick Jesus to try to draw him into this argument against God, against anyone that they want, so too do we try to trick God in the same way. But Jesus flips it. Do you think that the Galileans were worse than any other Galilean? Do you think that their sin was worse than any other person's sin because Pilate did this to them, that they would suffer in this way? Or what about the 18 people? You know, the ones that were in Jerusalem and the tower in Siloam fell upon them. Do you think that God was punishing them because their sins were worse than yours? No. But here's the deal. Unless you repent, Jesus says, the same thing is going to happen to you. You will die in the same way. You go, well, it's not often that a tower falls on people. I'd like you to remember, as in those descriptions of the last days, when people see Jesus returning and they're not believers, they have not trusted in him, they run to the hills, they run to the mountains, and they beg that the mountain would fall in on them and crush them rather than to see the face of a God who's about to judge them. So you will likewise perish if you do not repent. All right. Heavy. Because we're sinners. It feels heavy. Does it feel heavy to you? It feels heavy to me. Because all of a sudden I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, there is no hope. And you're right. You're right. God tells us in Ezekiel this morning, when you trust in your righteousness, you will perish. When you think that you are good, you will die. When you think that you're right, that you're holy, that you are the one who saved yourself, it's over for you. And that's what we naturally think. That sin that Adam and Eve committed that, that has been passed down to us, we call that original sin. It leads us into sin of our own. In fact, from the very moment of conception in your mother's womb, when you were those two cells who became one living organism, you have been a sinner. And it's weird to think, but in that moment you deserved death because you're a sinner that's the execution of the law from that very moment you have been counted guilty and to think that you're righteous who do you think you are 
One of the Galileans who didn't have their blood put into the sacrifice. One of the people who didn't have a tower fall on them. One of the people who is so holy and righteous that your actions don't affect anyone around you. That's not you. It's not any of us. We're not a holy people by our works. We're not. We are not righteous by our deeds. We're not. We are not anything but damnable sinners in the eyes of God. And unless you repent of everything that you are and everything that you've done, everything that you think, so you will likewise perish. Accept. Accept. Jesus. You see, here's the thing. God doesn't love you apart from Jesus. Jesus is the reason God loves you. Remember, before the foundation of the earth was laid, the plan always was for mankind to be saved by the death of the Son of God. The death of the Son of God is not plan B. It's not a, oh, they fell into sin, now i got to do something. The plan, as God created the heavens and the earth, was for man to realize that they need God. God created mankind to be perfect, and all of a sudden, we're ah, led into sin, led into decay, led into death. Did God know that was coming? Of course he did. He's God. What does he not know? And God created us knowing that this is what would happen. God created us so that our righteousness would be to us as filthy rags. We won't be saved. We won't live forever by our righteousness. But instead, we will live by the righteousness of Christ. What this means is, God created this place so that you would not depend on you, but that you would depend on Christ. Knowing then the Father, knowing that He would send His Son, loved you through that Son He would send. He loved you knowing what Jesus would do for you. He loved you knowing that Jesus would lay His life down on the cross to forgive your sins. He loved you knowing that Jesus would give up His righteousness and give it to you. He loved you knowing that Jesus would take your sinfulness and lay it upon Himself. He loved you knowing that Jesus would rise from the dead and bring to you that promise of everlasting life. He loved you. He loved you in that way. He loved you to save you in that way. God is merciful. He is long-suffering, the Scriptures tell us. He's patient. And the reason He is these things is because of the blood of Christ. It's not the blood of the Galileans. It's not the blood of those under the tower. It's the blood of Jesus that by which God is patient with you to save you. 
Why does Jesus tarry? Why isn't he back yet? Anybody filled up their gas tank in the last week or two? In some ways, it's kind of like, I wish Jesus would come back rather than putting another hundred bucks in this tank to drive 20 miles down the road. I mean, inflation stinks enough that we're like, this is enough. I don't want to deal with this anymore. What about the other cares of our lives? A missing spouse, mistreatment, abuse, neglect, disenfranchisement, racism. What about all of these ills that we see in our society? There are enough for us to want to be taken out of this life for Jesus to come back and put an end to all of this junk. Why does he wait? Because he's patient. He's long-suffering. And he's merciful. He's waiting For all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life to come, that they may join with you in repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That they might join with you in this blood of Jesus in which you are baptized, in which you will receive in the supper this day. He wants to wait until everyone is here. And I know it's so hard. It's hard to wait. Imagine what it's like for God who loves you, who sees your suffering, who sees not just your suffering, but the entire world's suffering, and to say, I'm still waiting. Wait just a little bit. It's like Jesus is a horse chomping at the bit to get out of the gate, and God the Father is holding him back saying, Not yet, son. Soon. Wait for the starting pistol, that trumpet of Gabriel that sounds in the air that all men will hear and know that all things will be well. See, this is the merciful, patient man. This is what's demonstrated in the parable. That God the Father is kind of seen as the one who wants to chop down the tree because he sees sin in his way. He sees things not going the way that it should. And he says, we need to put an end to this now. It's kind of like Jesus almost is looking at God and saying, wait, wait, let me fertilize it. Let me water it. Let me give it what it needs to go. And then let's see what happens. And then sure enough, in a year that tree is either going to sprout and bear fruit, that fruit of faith, or it's going to remain bare and barren and it'll be cut down. Which do you want to be? Do you want to be counted as the sinner? Do you want to be counted as the one who is indeed trying to make it by your own righteousness? Do you want to be the one who's trying to do all of the good things that you can do that God would look at you and smile at you for all of that? Or do you want to be the one who falls to your knees in faith and repents of your sins, and finds forgiveness, knowing that no matter what else you do, that's what God desires of you. Knowing that there is nothing you can do to please God, but that Christ has pleased Him for you. Do you want to be the one who finds the forgiveness of sins unto everlasting life? 
Or do you want to be the one found under a mountain asking for it to fall upon you? I know that you are people of faith. And the answer, of course, then, I want to be the repentant sinner. I want to be the forgiven sinner. I want to be the righteous, not by my works, but by Christ's. I want to be the one found at the foot of the cross. I want to be the one found in the waters of baptism. I want to be the one found kneeling at the rail to receive our Lord's body and blood. I want to be found in Jesus. Because I am worse than these Galileans. I am worse than these people under the Tower of Siloam. I am worse than Pilate. I am worse than the terrorists. I'm a sinner. And I desire, Lord, to be forgiven. I want to amend my ways. I want to live by your righteousness. I want to be yours. In our Lutheran confessions, we make it very, very clear, because the Bible makes it very, very clear, that when those words, or whatever words they are, that are just like that, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities by by which I have ever offended you, justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. Whatever it is that you confess, however it is that you confess, when you confess, The forgiveness of sins always comes. There is no confession to God that is not forgiven. There is no sin you can do that Christ has not died for. There is no way for you to live in which Christ will not give you a better way in eternal life. For you, my dear sinners, my dear saints, Christ has redeemed you. He has won you back from sin, death, and the devil. And it's true that as long as we have flesh in this life, we will sin because we're sinners. Christ has made you something else by his blood. He has made you from this sacrifice into death. He has made you life-breathing people. Life-affirming people. Life-receiving People. Our Lord, by His blessed death, has brought you what you need to be different, to be people of faith, to be people of repentance and forgiveness of sins, to be people who no longer just sit there and accuse God of doing the things that are happening in this world, but people who take the blame because you know it's yours. But he doesn't leave you there. But instead gives you life and salvation. And most importantly, even for today, as we just try to make it through one more minute, the forgiveness of sins. This is what your Jesus has done. And it is all for you. In his holy and precious name. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.